0: Happy hauntings, horror fans! Welcome to the first episode of Megan's Murder Movies. I'm your host, Megan, and today we will be dissecting the all-time classic slasher film, Scream. This is my favorite movie of all time, so it had to be where I started with this podcast. Full disclosure, there will be spoilers throughout the podcast, so listen at your own risk. Let's get started with a little summary on the movie. So, Sydney Prescott is coming up on the one-year anniversary of her mother's murder. She was an eyewitness at her mother's murder trial, and Sydney believes that a man named Cotton Weary murdered her mother after they were having an affair, they being Sydney's mother and Cotton. Uh, Just before the year anniversary, teenagers at Sydney's high school in Woodsboro start getting murdered in addition to receiving taunting phone calls. After Sydney is attacked in her home, all signs point to her being on the killer's hit list and Sydney's boyfriend becomes the main suspect as he shows up only seconds after she was attacked. The town issues a curfew and the high schoolers throw a party as is teenage fashion this party turns into the climax of the film when ghostface shows up and starts picking people off one by one sydney prevails in true final girl fashion and survives on the anniversary of her mother's murder despite being ghostface's main target all right now that we've got a summary let's get into a little cast breakdown let's start off with the first character that we meet and that is casey becker played by the lovely drew barrymore before screen drew played in et and stephen king's Firestarter, just to name a few films Uh, she was originally cast to play sydney but due to other commitments she took on the role of casey instead drew was one of the biggest names associated with this film at the time so by killing her off in the first 10 minutes it really showed the audience that no one was safe and anyone was a target next we have our final girl slash main girl sydney prescott played by the incredibly talented Nev campbell uh, Nev had starred in Party of Five, which was a TV series, and The Craft with Skeet Ulrich, who is also in Scream. She was kind of hesitant at first to play this role because, uh, it was a little bit similar to the character that she played on The Craft, and she didn't want to kind of put herself in a little typecast situation, uh, but the director Wes Craven actually personally asked her to audition because he liked the work that she did in The Craft. This would also be her first main lead role, and how, you know, how do you turn that down, um, I know I wouldn't have. Next up, we have news reporter Gail Weathers, played by Courtney Cox. Courtney was also in Family Ties and she played Monica in Friends. She was also in Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Uh, She really was kind of hoping to play a quote unquote bitch role to offset her friend's role. The studio originally said no, but she fought for it and fought for it and won the role. And I couldn't imagine anybody else playing Gail Weathers, to be honest. And our final strong female role goes to Rose McGowan, who plays Tatum Riley. Uh, Rose was also in Encino Man and The Doom Generation, and she would later go on to play in the show Charmed. The studio thought that she was the perfect fit, and the studio also really wanted a strong female cast and hoped to attract a you know good female audience to come see the film. And I think that they definitely got that with McGowan, Cox, and Campbell. Uh, the three of them are great, absolutely wonderful, super talented, and I think played their roles really, really well. Next, let's jump to Officer Dwight Riley, Tatum's brother, played by David Arquette. David had played in Road Racers. He would also go on to play in Never Been Kissed, you know, with Drew Barrymore in the future. They really wanted him to audition for Billy, but he really liked the character of Dwight, aka Dewey. Um, the studio kind of thought that he was a little bit too small. They were hoping Dewey would be, you know, very masculine, kind of buff, hunky, I think is how they described the character in the, like, audition sheet, but Wes Craven actually really liked his kind of softer, funnier performance, and he ultimately ended up winning the role. Following that, we will jump to Billy Loomis, who is played by Skeet Ulrich. Skeet had started in The Craft with Nev Campbell. Um, He's also now currently in the show Riverdale on the CW, which is very popular. Uh, They liked that he looked like a young Johnny Depp circa Nightmare on Elm Street. It was also a plus that he and Niff had worked together, so they already had some pretty good rapport, some on-screen chemistry, and it just kind of helped them feel a lot more comfortable on set and in some of the the intense scenes that they shot together for Scream. Then one of my personal favorite characters, Stu Mocker, played by Matthew Lillard huge Matthew Lillard fan. Uh, His portrayal of Stu is absolutely great. So many of my favorite lines from Scream are said by Stu aka Matthew. Um, Lillard had starred in Animal Room, Hackers. He also later plays Shaggy in Scooby-Doo which also a great cast choice. Love it. He was actually at the studio with his girlfriend while she was auditioning for um, for a role in a different film. They were just in the in the same building and the casting director, Lisa Beach, saw him and asked him to audition and he knocked it out of the park, totally crushed it. They loved him and yeah, he was cast as Stu Mucker. Another great comedic character in Scream, Uh, kind of funny to talk about comedic characters in something that's supposed to be, you know, a scary movie or a horror film, Um, but Jamie Kennedy did an amazing job playing Randy Meeks in Scream. 1996 was a big year for Kennedy, you know, did his role of Randy Meeks in Scream, and then he also starred in Romeo Plus Juliet by Baz Leerman, which also amazing. Uh, he, he plays a, he's got a, a little bit of a smaller role in that, but, um, absolutely crushes it, so. And then in terms of cast, last but not least, we have Ghostface. The name and face and iconic image that you think of when you think about Scream is just the white mask and the voice. The voice has become so popular throughout the horror fan base genre, whatever you want to call it, and the, voice of ghostface belongs to roger jackson the iconic voice behind the mask was only meant to be a placeholder and then they were gonna like edit it and post and make it scarier but they actually really loved what jackson brought to the the set and brought to the character of ghostface um they loved it so they kept his voice uh he only spoke with the actors via phone when he was actually on the phone with them in the movie he never met them on set they never knew what he looked like he would you know be standing off set in a tent talking to them on the phone doing the iconic like spooky voice um so yeah definitely definitely adds to it and his voice will forever be known in horror cinema history that is for sure so, now let's talk about where the idea for Scream came from. So, Scream was written by Kevin Williamson, and he started writing Scream after he saw a television program, kind of 2020 type show about the Gainesville Ripper who killed a couple of college students in 1990. Um, I guess it left Williamson with you know really uncomfortable feelings. He had nightmares after watching the show um, and just kind of was inspired to write his own kind of version inspired by that and that is how Woodsboro and Sydney and Scream was born. Wes Craven came in and directed Scream uh, uh, he's known for his, you know, his films, The Last House on the Left, which is absolutely amazing, one of my favorites. The Hills Have Eyes, Deadly Blessing, Swamp Thing, A Nightmare on Elm Street, also a huge classic, and Deadly Friend, The Serpent and the Rainbow, Shocker, The People Under the Stairs, and Vampire in Brooklyn were all kind of, um, you know, horror movies that he did before he ended up doing Scream. Craven actually got his start directing um, in the adult film industry. He knew that that was what he wanted to do and he was having kind of a hard time, you know, getting his foot in the door and so he used that avenue to kind of master his craft and you know figure out the tricks and tools of the trade and went on after you know his little stint directing in the adult film industry um was able to to go on and and direct some of the greatest films you know definitely at least in my book all of these are you know kind of favorites of mine in my rotation that I watch all the time Uh, you know especially The Last House on the Left and Nightmare on Elm Street and Scream I think those were some of the first horror movies that I watched growing up and ones that I still watch pretty much on a regular basis today Now let's get into some fun facts about the film. Uh, So the iconic ghost face mask was actually found in a room while they were scouting locations for one of the houses. They had been going back and forth on what they wanted this mask to look like, and in the script it said that it should, you know, look like it could be found in any costume shop. You know, not hard to find. Anyone could have one, you know, which makes the killer even more applicable to be anyone that you know and yeah they found this mask and took a picture and sent it to the studio and they were like this is what we want and they were like okay i guess um and yeah so it was just kind of a happy accident that the mask was found Um, and now it is pretty much able you can find it anywhere especially around halloween the ghost face mask is very very iconic interesting though they actually talked about making the robe that Ghostface wears instead of the black robe kind of like you know Grim Reaper-esque. They talked about making it a white robe and then they realized that that might look too much like a KKK uh, outfit and so they scrapped that idea and they were like we'll go for the Grim Reaper robe as opposed to the uh, KKK garb. So I think that that was definitely a good call because uh could have definitely sunk the movie if uh those connotations were uh laid in place the special effects artist in Scream used over 50 gallons of fake blood throughout filming. It's also interesting because in, you know, kind of the end scene where Billy is talking on the phone to Sydney, um, you know, after it's revealed that him and Stu are in fact the killers, uh, you know, plot twist, there's two, not just one. He in the scene is actually supposed to just like kind of set the phone down. But as he goes to do that, it kind of uh, slips right out of his hand and knocks Matthew Lillard, a.k.a. Stu Mocker, in the back of the head, which uh, then he improvised the famous line, you hit me with the phone, dick, Um, which is, you know, kind kind of perfect because it's such an iconic line in the film and seems like it would be so believable with kind of the power dynamic that Billy and Stu had, you know, Stu wasn't really wasn't really a main player he was almost just a pawn for Billy Billy was like wouldn't this be fun we should do this thing and you know Stu also has that really good line where he's like I you know I I, uh, I'm very sensitive it's peer pressure like uh, you know I'm far too sensitive and yeah so that's just really interesting that you know kind of the the fake blood that's used caused that little slip up which, you know, just kind of seems to fit so perfectly with, with what they were setting up with the film anyway. Also, kind of that climax movie, you know, the huge party that they throw at Stumacher's house when they're supposed to kind of, you know, be, be home under curfew, that, that scene runs about 42 minutes long. It was shot over the course of 21 days from, you know, sunset to the sunrise. Uh, After it wrapped, I guess the crew had t-shirts made that said, I survived scene 118, which is what the film, or what the scene's uh, name was during shooting. The cast and crew jokingly called it the longest night in horror history. I can't even imagine, uh, you know, there's so much intense stuff happening in those 42 minutes that... It doesn't, you know, when you look back, it doesn't seem like it's actually 42 minutes long. Um, I remember when I first saw that, I actually like went and watched it and timed it. And I was like, God, it, yeah, it is It is about 42 minutes long, that whole party scene. You know, about half the movie and it there's so much going on. And yeah, you kind of have to shoot it from, you know, sundown to sunrise. Just, yeah, absolutely wild. Uh, definitely would have screwed up your sleep schedule. But they pulled it off and, uh, you know, one of the best, one of the best. Then one of my uh, other favorite parts about the whole just Scream franchise in general is about how, I guess, self-aware it is and how, um, I guess, meta would be the term used now it is. Um, is that, you know, the characters have watched other horror movies, other horror movies that we've watched, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, The Hells Have Eyes, um, Halloween, you know, that's a big one that's talked about, you know, they have a whole conversation at uh, Stu's party about Jamie Lee Curtis and, you know, her being the scream queen and they're watching the Halloween movies that night. Um, and so we'll kind of break down some of the the references made to other horror movies within the film when we get into the you know scene by scene breakdown but you know definitely some of the best because it seems like the characters are you know people that you really know people you could really talk to the references they make are references that you know people who have seen other horror movies understand and so there's this kind of understanding between You know, the the audience and the the movie and the characters. It's almost like an inside joke that everybody's in on, um, which is just awesome. And so before we kind of get into the main scene breakdowns, uh, I want to go over the rules, the classic rules that everyone must abide by in order to survive a horror movie. You cannot have sex. You can't drink or do drugs. And never say I'll be right back because you won't be back. That's just not how it works. Um, So now that we know the rules and everyone's on the same page, let's get into a scene breakdown. Okay, so let's get into this scene-by-scene breakdown. Let's start with the opening sequence, the iconic sequence. Starts off, Drew Barrymore's character gets a phone call. Hello, Ghostface goes, who is this? She says, who are you trying to reach? He says, what number is this? She says, what number are you trying to reach? Um, He says he doesn't know. She says, I think you have the wrong number. Have a good night. Take care. Very nice. Very cordial. Think somebody has the wrong number. No big deal. Puts the phone down, walks away. Same person calls back again. And he goes, I think I have the wrong number. And she's like, well, why did you dial it again? He goes to apologize. Well, you're forgiven. Have a good night. Ghostface tries to keep her on the line by saying he just wants to chat. She says there's 900 numbers for that. She hangs up, walks away. Goes into the kitchen, starts the popcorn, gets another phone call. He wants to know her name. She says, not gonna happen. He hears the popcorn rustling and asks what she's doing. She says she's making popcorn. Ghostface makes the comment that, you know, well, I only eat popcorn when I'm at the movies. She says, I'm getting ready to watch a video. And this kind of leads to the iconic, oh, you know, do you like scary movies? What's your favorite scary movie? And so she proceeds to tell him her scary, favorite scary movie is Halloween. He says that he also likes scary movies and she guesses that his favorite scary movie is A Nightmare on Elm Street and this kind of does the you know back and forth them kind of talking about scary movies she says that the first Nightmare on Elm Street was really good, but the rest sucked. And this is kind of a nod to Wes Craven. He directed the first Nightmare on Elm Street, and then he kind of sold off his rights to the franchise before they started making the sequels. Um, And a lot of people will say that, you know, they really liked the first one, but they're not a huge fan of the sequels. And so that's just kind of his little nod to like, yeah, you know, I I knew how to do it best and uh, go me kind of a thing, which. I agree. Maybe a strong opinion, but uh, yeah, the first and original is definitely my favorite. So this is when the conversation turns a little bit flirty. He asks, do you have a boyfriend? She says, why do you want to ask me out on a date? So she doesn't answer the question, but they just kind of have this little back and forth she says that she doesn't have a boyfriend. Ghostface asks her name again. This leads to one of my favorite little, uh, little scenes where she goes, well, why do you want to know my name? And he goes, well, I want to know who I'm looking at. And then it just pans in on Drew Barrymore's face. Just sheer panic of, oh my gosh, this like, innocent phone call that we were kind of having, you know, harmless fun type of deal could actually be potentially very dangerous because Now this person says that they can see me. So then she kind of looks outside flips on the patio light Ghostface prompts her with what what happened? Like, you know, that's not what I said I said I wanted to know who I was talking to not who I'm looking at and she's like that's a lie I'm done and as she's hanging up, uh, you hear Ghostface say, don't hang up on me. She hangs up, walks back to the kitchen, goes to take the popcorn off of the stove. Phone rings again. She jumps, you know, picks up the phone and says, listen, asshole. And Ghostface says, no, you listen, you little bitch. Hang up on me again, and I'll gut you like a fish. And so then that really kind of sets the scene even more of yeah this isn't good by this point the popcorn is probably burning um you know definitely looks a little bit bigger than the like jiffy pop thing that you know that it should look like she's like what like what are you what are you getting at and he's like I just want to play a game let's just play a game Uh, you know, always, always a game with these serial killers. I don't understand. So then Ghostface insinuates, or not insinuates, basically calls her Blondie, which confirms even more, you know, that uh, this person on the other end of the line can see her. And so, uh, you know, very very valid she gets freaked out runs to the front of the house locks the door is looking out kind of the top window of of the front door and Ghostface is now just taunting her basically you know can you see me she says she's gonna call the police he's like they're never gonna make it in time we're out in the middle of nowhere basically good luck if that's what you try to do and then she says well my boyfriend's gonna be here soon he's not going to be happy about this. Ghostface is like, well, I thought you didn't have a boyfriend because that's what she told him earlier. And she says, I lied. He's big. He plays football. He's going to beat the shit out of you. So you better get out of here. And she's panicking. She's crying. Very emotional. Drew Barrymore, amazing in this scene. Uh, Just so iconic. So Ghostface is still taunting Casey in this moment. Um, You know, she's telling him to leave, talking about her boyfriend, all that jazz. Um, And he goes, his name wouldn't happen to be Steve, would it? And she goes, how do you know his name? And Ghostface instructs her to turn on the patio light. And this is when he explains that they're going to play a game. Real simple. Movie trivia. He's going to give her a warm-up question even. No big deal. Name the killer in Halloween. He goes, it's your favorite scary movie. You know this. Take a breath. We're good. Come on. She's insistent that she doesn't want to play, but, you know, he's really not giving her any other option. So, you know, she gets it right. Michael, Michael Myers. Yep, that's the killer in Halloween. Um, You know, past the warm-up question. Now on to the real question. Next question Ghostface gives her is name the killer in Friday the 13th. Casey thinks for a second and then very confidently says Jason. And that is incorrect, uh, because in the first Friday the 13th, as I'm sure a lot of you who are listening uh, will know that Mrs. Voorhees, Jason's mother, was the original character, uh, the original killer in the first Friday the 13th, and Jason doesn't show up until Friday the 13th, part two. So that means that Steve is out. Steve has lost the game because Casey got the answer wrong, and so Steve doesn't make it to round two. His insides are on the outside when Casey next flips on the patio light. Her next question that she's given is uh, trying to figure out which door Ghostface is at. He says, you've got three doors into your house. you got the main door, the side door, and the patio door. And so she starts to kind of be like in this little hallway area of her house. And a patio chair comes through kind of the like patio door area so she makes her way to the kitchen runs to the kitchen the kitchen is full of smoke because the popcorn that she was making on the stove has now caught fire uh, she grabs a knife from the butcher block and proceeds to go out kind of i guess what would be the side door of her house so she she walks around she sees you know ghost face enter the house you know this cloaked figure and she sneaks out the door with this knife in her hand you know knife in in one hand phone in the other uh, she tries to sneak around basically to the front of her house. She sees her parents' car coming up the side of the house and she's like, oh my gosh, my parents are here. They've got the car. This could be home free. Like, this could be good. She pops up in kind of the the window in the, I guess, dining room area maybe is what it would be. And Ghostface is standing there. So that's when you first see like a full-on uh, image of the iconic you know, look, the mask with the hood and all of that. And he comes through, you know, busts the window. She whacks him in the face with the phone and starts running he comes after her uh you know you see kind of her parents car pull in they get out of the house they're talking about plants or whatever um and as she's running around the side of the house to try and get to her parents thinking if I can just make it to my parents I'm gonna be home free like they don't explicitly say that but you know that that's the thought that's going through her head like my parents are gonna know what to do they're gonna figure this out as she's making her way up the side of the house, Ghostface catches up to her from behind, kind of hooks his arm like around her and stabs her in the chest. Um, they tussle on the ground for a second. She's able to get away. She's weak. She's been stabbed. He choked her. She can't talk. Uh, she gets to basically the front porch and she's on the side of the house. And so she can see her parents walking in the front door, but they don't catch her in their peripherals as they're walking through the doorway and, uh, you know, like I said, she was, you know, she was strangled for a sec. So she, you know, her, her windpipe is crushed. She can't talk. And you, it sucks because she's so close in that moment. You're like, she, she could have made it. Like, she was three seconds away from, from potentially being home free, literally. But sadly, that's not the case. Uh, Ghostface gets her. Her parents walk in. First thing they see is, you know, their patio kind of doorway. Busted in. At this point, the fire alarm is going off because of the popcorn, and they are very confused because their daughter is supposed to be home. Clearly, something bad happened. They don't know what's going on. The dad finds the boyfriend on the patio and they try to call the police. But Casey still has the receiver. So when her parents pick up the phone to call the police, they can hear her heavy breathing slash wheezing on the other end. They're like, she's here, like she's on the property. She's got the other, she's got the other device. This is when Ghostface, because they're trying to talk to her, this is when Ghostface realizes that she still has the phone and it's still, you know, kind of connected. So he takes the phone, uh, hangs up, basically. They hear the line go dead, and this is when, Casey's dad turns to her mom and says drive down to the McKenzie's and this is a line actually from Halloween um we won't go into that when I do Halloween you know what kind of we'll we'll do a little revisit at that line but it's a line from Halloween and so you know she says no not my daughter she's coming to the realization that something really bad happened and she's not even seen the dead boyfriend on the patio and so he says go like just go drive down get out. And so she opens that front door and then that's when you see Drew Barrymore as Casey Becker hanging from a tree, insides on the outside. The opening sequence ends with her mom falling to her knees on the front porch, just screaming. And then it cuts to black. Next scene opens on our main girl, Sydney Prescott, sitting at her computer doing some stuff and she starts hearing something outside of her bedroom window. Uh, This is where we meet her boyfriend, Billy Loomis. Uh, He comes in, sneaks through a window, has this great line that just gets me every time. Um, You know, should be a red flag for every person in a relationship. If your partner says, I was at home watching The Exorcist and it got me thinking about you, I feel like that's probably not a good thing. That's a little, I mean, and I love horror movies, but if someone was like, I was watching The Exorcist and it made me think about you, I'd be like, why? Why? So Billy tells her, you know, I was I was at home watching The Exorcist and I was thinking about you. And Sydney kind of has this look on her face, like, well, why? Like that's a not what I would equate with me at all. He goes, oh, you know, it was it was edited for TV. All the good stuff was cut out. So this is where you kind of learn a little bit about uh, Sydney and Billy's relationship. You know, they've been dating for over a year. Things started off really good, and then when her mom was you know assaulted and then murdered um that kind of puts Sydney in a place where she doesn't trust people she really isn't wanting to have sex I mean I feel like totally valid with all the stuff that happened you know she thought that she watched Cotton Weary the person who she thought killed her mom leave their house that night you know she you know I think harbors a lot of guilt for thinking that you know she potentially could have done something to prevent her mother's murder um, that's not really talked about but you know kind of what what I have picked up on through all of my time watching the movie they have a you know little make out session whatever and um, you know it really just kind of sets up the dynamic of their relationship and introduces us to the characters of Sydney Prescott and Billy Loomis. So then cut to, you know, what is the next day at school and, you know, we kind of get a little glimpse of Gail Weathers doing the news. We only really meet her a whole lot just yet. We meet Tatum, Sydney's best friend, uh, and Tatum's actually the one who tells her about Casey Becker and Stephen Orth, who's, you know, Casey's boyfriend who, you know, that they got murdered the night before and the police don't know who did it. Um, you come to find out later that she probably knows all of that information from her brother, who is Deputy Dewey, who we will meet, um, you know, here in a couple of minutes in the film. And Sydney makes a comment that Casey used to sit next to her in English. And Tatum goes, well, not anymore. And that just kind of gives you a glimpse into Tatum's kind of um, cynical attitude, her very upfront personality. And then that's when you learn that they're, they're going to interview the whole school because they have no idea who, you know, who did this or why. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Seems very random. Um, and, you know, obviously very intense murders, not just like simple gunshot like they were... They were gutted, and so Sydney, you know, it's it's her turn. She goes in and she talks to Sheriff Burke and Dewey, uh, you know, Tatum's brother, and the principal, and they kind of, you know, they kind of make comments about, you know, that she's Marine's daughter and she uh, she's been through a lot in the last year so then that kind of sets up a little bit more of you know Sydney's backstory and how everyone in town pretty much knows her and her story in terms of kind of what happened to her mom you know it's it big is it big news in her town so then we cut to school lunch and Sydney and Tatum, Billy, Billy's friend and Tatum's boyfriend, Stu, and their friend Randy are all sitting at a fountain eating lunch. So, this is kind of when we get to meet uh, Stu's character and Randy's character. So, they're talking about the interviews that they had with the police. The boys are talking about how the police asked them if they liked to hunt, and Tatum's like, Well, they didn't ask me if I liked to hunt. And they're basically like, Because, you know, they were gutted, that's not something that typically a woman would do. And Tatum's a little offended. She's kind of like, Well, there's plenty of female murderers and serial killers and movies that you know have you know female killers in them basic instinct prime example randy is kind of you you meet him in this moment as the horror movie buff you know very into cinema but also very into horror he keeps quoting lines from horror movies and just kind of making a joke of everything um, as is Stu. Billy's kind of not saying a whole lot. Randy insinuates that it could be Stu. He says, no, like, I was with, uh, I was with Tatum all night. Tatum basically, uh, you know, corroborates his alibi. So, Sydney gets tired of their nonsense and their jokes and just kind of making light of the fact that two people have been murdered. She gets up and leaves. Next big scene is she gets home. She's talking with Tatum on the phone and she's gonna go stay the night at Tatum's house because her dad's out of town so they're just kind of talking about you know Tatum's gonna come pick her up later in the evening Sydney watches some TV there's a a news story going on about her mom's murder she turns it off she falls asleep on the couch And she wakes up to the phone ringing in her house. It's Tatum. Tatum's apologizing for being late. Practice ran late. She's getting in the car. She's going to stop at the video store, rent a movie, Um, you know, just kind of no big deal. Sydney jokes around, okay, well, you're running late. It's after the time you said you'd come get me. And Tatum says, oh, don't worry about it. Casey and Steve didn't beat it until well after. I think it was nine o'clock. And she's like, oh, great. That's really comforting. Her and Tatum hang up the phone and Sydney goes to walk away and the phone starts ringing again. She thinks that it's going to be Tatum again. And so she tells Tatum without saying anything else. She's like, Tatum, just get in the car. And that's when you hear Ghostface. Sydney automatically thinks that it's Randy just playing a joke on her. Um, She says that, you know, she likes the thing that he's doing with his voice. She thinks it's sexy. Again, there's this kind of like flirtiness going on over the phone. I don't think I would flirt with a random stranger who called me but I guess if you think that you know she thinks it's Randy because he asks again the favorite line what's your favorite scary movie Sydney says she doesn't watch it because it's you know insulting it's usually some girl getting attacked and she chooses to run up the stairs instead of going out the front door you know how the the girl always makes the wrong decisions kind of deal And then the killer just kind of plays with her a little bit, much like in the way that he did with Casey, you know, kind of saying that he's outside, saying that he's watching her. Um, So she ends up, you know, coming downstairs and unlocking the front door and stepping out on the front porch, just kind of showing that she's not afraid of whoever this is on the phone because she thought that it was Randy at first, but it turns out it's not. The killer's actually already in the house. So she walks back in, the killer comes out of the closet, they struggle, they run around, Sydney basically fights for her life. She runs into a room and kind of barricades the door and she's on her computer trying to get a hold of nine one one via like the website um, that they have and then the house goes silent. Everything's fall silent and then seconds later as she's kind of walking towards the door, who appears in her bedroom window like they did the night prior? Her boyfriend, Billy she gives him a hug she's like oh my gosh the killer's here I almost just died we have to leave blah 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 and a cell phone falls from his pocket so she thinks that it was him that he's the one who attacked her so she opens the door runs downstairs opens the front door to kind of run out the front door like she had said the girl should do in the horror movie and runs right into the ghost face mask and officer Dewey had was holding it up kind of in the doorway not really like thinking that it was right in the doorway, not realizing that if someone comes out that's the first thing they're going to see. So Sydney screams and then Dewey screams and that's kind of where this scene comes to a close. There's, you know, tons of police there. Tatum gets there and is like, oh my gosh, what the heck? Tells Dewey, yeah, Sid's staying with us tonight. Uh, Gail shows up and is trying to ask questions. They're basically like, go away, go to hell. Nobody wants you here. You suck. And they are all carted off to the police station, Billy included. At the police station, they interrogate Billy a little bit. They're like, why were you at Sydney's house? Why do you have a phone? Why this? Why that? And he's got pretty decent answers for everything. He's like, pretty much everybody has a cell phone nowadays, which, you know, in the 90s wasn't as true as it is today. So that, you know, kind of an old, old media thing you know there's also not very many video stores with streaming and all of that stuff like blockbuster there's one left in the state that I live in um, I think that that might actually be the only one left and as that's of as we're recording this podcast that could that could change in the future sadly. But yeah, so they're interrogating him. He basically says, you know, yeah, well, I've gone to see Sydney before in the middle of the night. His dad's there with him. They kind of have a little, you know, back and forth where you can very briefly see that him and his dad don't have the best relationship just in the way that they talk to each other. Much like we really don't see Casey and her parents interact, but you can kind of tell just with a little bit that's written that they they get along well and they care for each other. You don't really feel that with Billy and Billy's dad. So they get ready to leave the. The police station they being Tatum and Sydney to go to Tatum's house to kind of get some rest and just try and recoup after the you know near-death experience that Sydney has just gone through and as they're leaving the police station Gail Weathers approaches her and is asking her questions about what happened and all this stuff and originally Sydney is kind of playing nice and then they start talking about the book that Gail wrote about uh, cotton weary and sydney's murder trial and in the book gail calls sydney a liar and thinks that she doesn't know what she's talking about so sydney says that you know she'll she'll be sure to read the book kind of in like a sarcastic tone and gail says oh don't worry i'll send you a copy and at that point sydney turns around and like decks gail right in the face, just below her eye, uh, you know, kind of like cheekbone area, and Gail just collapses. That's when Dewey's pulling the car up, and they get in, and they leave, and they get to Tatum's. So, they're kind of just, you know, resting at Tatum's place, having their little sleepover, and Tatum's mom comes in and lets Sydney know that she has a call on the phone. Uh, Sydney is hoping that it's her dad. Uh, Tatum's mom thinks that it's not her dad. Uh, She goes out to answer it, and it's a ghost face. So, this kind of, you know, lulls you to this idea well it can't be Billy the boyfriend because he's still sitting at the jail uh you know kind of being interrogated and they hold him overnight and fingerprint him and you know all of that stuff because they suspect him of committing a crime and a possible murder but Ghostface you know basically says that she, you know she got the wrong guy again kind of insinuating that like Cotton didn't kill her mother that you know possibly this Ghostface character did and so Sydney gets really worried they go and they get Officer Dewey out of his room because again Dewey and Tatum our siblings. I feel like that's kind of overlooked um a lot especially later on you know that like they actually are related and so that definitely fits into kind of a lot of what's going on and I think why Dewey feels protective over Sydney because you know they're Tatum and uh, Sydney are the same age and you kind of suspect that they've grown up to, together a lot and so you know Dewey's probably been in Sydney's life and vice versa for quite a few years and so he probably views her um very much like he does Tatum as kind of this like protective older brother Role. so anyway they go and they get dewey from his room he comes out with his gun drawn just kind of waving it around like you can just kind of see his as gail would put it inexperience showing he's in like a white t-shirt and boxers just kind of waving his gun around like what's going on what's happening you're like buddy you don't even know the half of it and so they walk away from the phone and it's just sitting there, not on the receiver, just kind of sitting on the on the counter, I'm guessing, is what it would be. And he picks it up and just very, like, cautiously goes, hello. And there's nothing there. Like, Ghostface is hung up. It's just completely silly and kind of pointless. And he's still got his gun up in the air, like, ready, ready to go. But he's in boxers and, like, white socks and a white t shirt. <laughs> um so then anyway, next scene we get to school the next day. Sydney goes up to Gail and originally is gonna apologize for punching Gail in the face. You can see Gail putting makeup on, you know, the little shiner basically that she's got going on from the, the punch. And so they start talking about, you know, Cotton being innocent and Gail starting to realize that maybe Sydney's thinking that Cotton could be innocent and that this new killer in town, or you know, or this killer who's now killing uh, the high schoolers could potentially be the person who killed her mother. So they kind of had this little back and forth and Sydney stands her ground. She goes, no, like it was Cotton. I saw him leaving our house wearing his coat. And Gail goes, no, you saw someone leaving your house wearing his coat. That doesn't mean it was Cotton leaving your house wearing his coat. Uh, so then Sydney goes in and she's talking to Tatum by her lockers and Stu is basically talking about, you know, how crazy everything is. And Sydney's like, you just got, or Tatum's like, you just got to push through, like you're going to be fine it's gonna be okay and Sydney's starting to feel really guilty about what she did to Billy because she's like well it couldn't have been Billy because I got that phone call last night while he was in jail So, as they're talking by the lockers, this person who's dressed up as Ghostface, who's not actually Ghostface, just a kid being a jerk, runs through the hallway screaming, you know, but not screaming like bloody murder, just like making loud noise, uh, waving his hands in the air. You know, he's dressed in the like Grim Reaper with the the Ghostface mask, uh, waving his arms around. And Stu starts laughing and she, you know, he thinks that it's really funny and he's like, it's like Christmas. Tatum takes the lollipop that she's got in her mouth and starts smacking him in the face with it. And she's like knock it out like basically you're not helping you're stupid uh Sydney walks away because she just kind of needs a minute to compose herself and so as she's walking to what we will later find out is she's walking to the bathroom she runs into Billy as he's coming up the stairway and she gets a little freaked out I think just because they ran into each other not necessarily because it's Billy I think she just like got scared that she bumped into someone with everything going on she's just jumpy she's on edge I mean she was almost murdered that's totally valid and so so her and Billy kind of have this little awkward interaction. And so Sydney discloses to him that she got a call from the killer last night. He says, well, it couldn't have been me because I was, you know, still in jail. He shows, you know, his fingers that are still all, you know, kind of the, got the ink on them, whatever it is that they use for the fingerprint stuff. Where it's kind of like, you've not washed your hands since uh, since leaving. And then Billy kind of gets a little, uh, another red flag, I guess you could say. He basically kind of tells Sydney that she just needs to get over everything. She needs to get over her mom being murdered she needs to get over you know being almost killed she just needs to just move on like just be positive don't think about it kind of a deal and he uses the you know the comparison that well my mom left my dad and I've not seen her in a while so it's really the same thing and she's like well your mom's not dead like my mom like I'll never get to see my mom again you could still see your mom but like that, like your parents got divorced. That's really not the same thing. Um, And then she stomps away, which like totally valid. And so he's realizing that he probably definitely put his foot in his mouth and she walks into the bathroom and is just trying to, you know, kind of compose herself, take a breath, just take some space. These two girls walk in to the bathroom and they're basically just kind of talking crap about Sydney, about how she, she kind of needs to, you know, process her mom's death, but she's not processing it in a healthy way, just passing a lot of judgment and um, fun fact, the blonde girl in that scene who's in the cheerleader uniform was Skeet Ulrich's girlfriend at the time of filming. Um, so, she plays the like cheerleader who's doing her, I think, lip gloss or whatever it is in the mirror. And they're talking about how Sydney could be the killer because she just hasn't processed her mom's murder and that's how she's going to process it. Uh, they talk about the show Ricky Lake, which was really popular during that time period. And then they go ahead and leave. And so, Sydney is feeling just really crappy she's had a really rough couple of days she doesn't really feel like she has any support she really kind of doesn't have any support her dad's gone on like a business trip uh you know Tatum and Dewey are trying but you know it's it's tough I can't imagine what you would say to somebody who's going through all of these things and so she she feels really alone and in the bathroom, she also gets attacked by Ghostface. Like, you know, you see kind of the, the shot of under the bathroom stall door, and then you see these boots get on the ground. And then she runs out of the bathroom and kind of ducks under Ghostface's arms, or arm, I guess you could say, and goes. That is kind of marking, then it, then it marks the end of the school day. And that's when you find out there's going to be a curfew. Everyone needs to go home. And that's when Stu's like, what, a we don't need a curfew. Let's just throw a party. My 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 parents are out of town party at my house and so Tatum is like okay yeah like we'll bring snacks come on Sydney it'll be fun it'll be just like kind of a relaxing chill fun night so Sydney agrees she's like fine whatever as long as Billy's not going to be there and they're like yeah no of course we won't invite Billy and so Stu's very excited then we cut to the video store where Randy works he's clearly working stocking some shelves with some videos and Stu walks up and knocks all the movies out of his hand and classic Stu you know prank fashion and so they're chatting and and Stu, he wants to clarify that Randy's gonna be at the party. He says, Yeah, I'm getting off early because of the curfew. We've had a ton of, you know, people renting horror movies, I think because of the murders going on. And that's when Randy realizes that Billy Loomis is at the video store standing in the horror section. And he's like, That's kind of in poor taste. Like, if you were the prime suspect in a murder, you probably shouldn't be standing in the horror section. And that's when Stu comes to Billy's defense and is like, Well, he didn't do anything. Like they let him go, and Randy's like, "No, that's like just because they let him go doesn't mean he didn't do anything in any like. If this was a horror movie, Billy would be a suspect. And Stu, they kind of have this back and forth. And Stu's like, "Why would you like Why would he want to kill his girlfriend?" And Randy's like, "Well, there's always some stupid fucked up reason to kill your girlfriend. Like maybe Sh- Sydney wouldn't sleep with him. And that's when you kind of realize that that Randy's got a, a crush on Sydney. That it kind of clarifies because Stu goes, "Oh, why?" you know she's saving herself for you and he goes well maybe do you think that now you know you do you think the sydney would go out with me now that you know her and billy are kind of not doing well and Stu goes absolutely not i don't think so laughs in randy's face it's kind of sad and then randy kind of has this whole like very loud rant while he's working about how the cops are stupid they don't know what they're doing if they just watched prom night it would save them time they need to be looking at billy because clearly he's the person who did it Stu tries to pin it on sydney's dad um, because they like they can't find him they can't get a hold of him they're not sure where he is and randy's like that's just a red herring like that's not important so they have this back and forth and randy's like i'm convinced that it's billy like it's billy and then he turns around and Billy is right there. Kind of puts his hands on his shoulders and it becomes a very intense scene. And so Billy is face to face with Randy talking with him. And Stu comes up behind Randy and like kind of boxes him in. Like puts his arms, like hooks his arms over Randy's shoulders. So he's not going anywhere. Billy then pins it back on Randy and is like, well, maybe your horror freaked mind lost its reality button. And you're actually the killer. And Randy goes, no, that's totally fair. If, like, if this was a horror movie, I would be a prime suspect. But, you know, that's, that's not what it is. And so, then they start talking about motives, and Randy says motives are is incidental because it's the millennium. You don't need them. It's just, you know, you just do it because you think it's fun. And, you know, Billy and Stu are fine with that answer, and, and Billy walks away, you know, leaving Randy and Stu standing there. And Randy turns to Stu and is like, that man is clearly a murderer like that whole situation of Billy being like very up close and personal in Randy's face like like if you watch the scene they are very close and Billy is in his face just like very quietly talking to him like very calculated very manipulative just very uncomfortable and Randy's like I mean that guy clearly is a bad guy And Stu just kind of brushes it off. He's like, whatever. Um, Then the next scene is, you know, just kind of prepping for the party. Tatum and Sydney go to the grocery store and are getting snacks and things like that. Sydney's talking about how she feels bad about how things with her and Billy are going. And Tatum's basically like, don't worry about it. He's terrible. Like, he's not a good boyfriend you shouldn't feel bad. He shouldn't be pressuring you basically to have sex. He shouldn't be pressuring you to get over your mom's murder. Like you totally, all of your feelings are valid. Really trying to be a good friend, really trying to be nice and helpful. And then as they're walking to the grocery store, they're getting ice cream out of one of the like, you know, freezer closets, the freezer things where they keep ice cream, you know. You've been to a grocery store and you see ghost face reflection when like they close the door and they walk away. So he's kinda chilling just like stalking Sydney, basically. Deputy Dewey goes to the police station to chat with with Sheriff Burke. Um, And Sheriff Burke basically tells Dewey to kind of just stay close to Sydney, just kind of keep an eye on her, make sure she's okay, because I think they're a little bit worried that, you know, she's going to be a target. She got away. They think the killer's possibly going to come back for her. Um, And then the next scene that we get to is the party. The... Uh, You know, very long 40 minute scene of this party. And so it's a really great shot of the outside of the house. Absolutely gorgeous house, which I think they're going to use again in the upcoming one that actually comes out the 14th of January 2022. So today, very exciting. I'm super pumped to see it. Anyway. Uh, so they're back at Stu's house. Beautiful two story, nice front porch. He's in like this red robe. They're getting ready to watch uh, a bunch of horror movies. They're drinking, whatever. Party's in full swing by the time Tatum and Sydney get there. So, like I said, they're getting ready to put on some horror movies. Also, another important thing to mention is Principal Hembry, who's the principal of Woodsboro High, gets murdered at the school. Uh, So this happens, you know, after the school day ends, he's kind of scolding and talking to the two people who had dressed up in the ghost face mask and were running through the school, just kind of causing a ruckus. He's like, this is gross. Two of your classmates have died. Another one's been attacked. Like, this is not funny. This is not a game. He's going to suspend them. They argue. He says, "I'm whatever, just get out. I just, I don't want to deal with this right now. And then he puts on the ghost face mask and is like, making noises and stuff in his mirror just kind of being weird someone knocks on his door and so he goes and there's no one in the hallway he goes back someone knocks on his door again so he walks out kind of from his principal's office into I guess like the main um, office lobby or whatever you would call it of the school and then he goes out into like the main hallway of the school and he sees the janitor Fred who's actually dressed as Freddy Krueger with like the red and green striped sweater and the fedora and he's uh, Principal Hembry, uh, you know is trying to figure out who's knocking on his door and he goes back and then that's when when he gets back into his office that's when he's killed by Ghostface. And so this death will come up later in the movie because Billy and Stu use Principal Hembry's death to distract all of the other party people to kind of go and see his body because supposedly it's at the school on the football field. Um, So this gets, you know, kind of all the rest of the kids away from the party so that Billy and Stu can Get Sydney, which is their main goal. So then, also, so back to the party. So also at this party is Gail Weathers and her cameraman Kenny. Uh, you know, because they think you know where where best to get some breaking news than at a teenage party uh, post curfew. And Deputy Dewey is also there, just kind of hanging out, keeping an eye on things. Not going to bust anybody, but just you know trying to make sure that everyone's safe, keeping an eye on Sydney, basically. Uh, So the party's in full swing. Um, This is when Randy has his great talk about the rules of horror movies, which we talked about earlier in the podcast about, you know, don't have sex, don't drink or do drugs and don't say I'll be right back. And then Stu says that he's gonna go in the kitchen and get another beer he says i'll be right back and randy says i'll see you in the kitchen with a knife which is kind of a foreshadow into later on in the film so they're watching horror movies and you know randy's you know drunk but talking about all of his movie trivia randy and i would get along so well he's one of my absolute favorite characters just 10 out of 10 and tatum goes out to get more beer at one point Stew specifically asks her to go into the garage into the beer fridge and get her more beer. And everyone's like, "Oh yeah, me too. Oh, can you grab me one?" And she's like, "Okay, f- like I guess." Uh so she heads out into the garage and this is sadly Tatum's death scene. So she goes out, she grabs some beer, she turns around and Ghostface is there, uh you know, standing in the garage door you know kind of stepping into the garage closing the door into the house behind him not the garage door but the door into the house and so she thinks it's randy automatically she's like you gotta get rid of that you know sydney will freak if she sees it and so then she you know of course thinks that it's one of her friends and so she starts joking around she's like oh you know are we playing psycho killer and ghostface just nods his head and she goes oh you know can i be the helpless victim and ghostface nods his head again And then Ghostface grabs Tatum, and so she's got the beer, and a couple of them fall out of her hand, and she's like, "Knock it off! Like, I don't like that." And one of my favorite lines that she has is, "Cut, Casper, that's a wrap," (laughs) because it's just so it's just so Tatum. It's just so her character, the like cynical. She doesn't like. I think she realizes that she's in trouble, but she's still trying to make a joke of things, um, which I kind of think is what would happen to me if I was in a situation like that. I definitely would, would tell the killer to fuck off and I just, yeah, um, they would probably end up getting me killed. So, uh, love Tatum for, for that line. And so her and the killer go back and forth. She tries to get away. She throws some beer bottles at him and then she tries to, you know, open the garage door so that she can get out from under, you know, the big door that, that raises that you, you know, would pull the car in through. And as she's going, Ghostface shuts the garage door, so it starts closing again, and so then she decides next, you know, next best idea is to go through the dog door that's in the garage door. So she tries to call crawl out, and at that point, Ghostface then raises the garage door, and so this scene, you know, is definitely interesting in terms of like horror movie deaths because it's not something that you see often uh but it definitely just isn't logical and is kind of a mistake because you can tell that Tatum would actually fit through the dog door that they had there um but she struggles and acts like she can't fit through it so she gets stuck in it basically and so then the garage door raises and so it cuts you know basically um cuts into her and she dies but there's like not enough blood so I'm not really sure what the whole point was supposed to be if it like broke her neck or if it suffocated her, um, because later it looks like, she, you know, she's kind of hanging more from, like, her neck and her shoulder, um, so I'm just a little confused as to, like, what exactly her cause of death specifically was, because um, I've seen a couple different, you know, theories about, oh, no, it was, you know, she was suffocated, or, oh, no, you see sparks, so she was electrocuted, or, no, it, like, broke her neck and killed her, you know, fairly quickly because, yeah, there's not really a whole lot of blood. And so, then Ghostface leaves and Tatum is left hanging with the garage door up, you know, just legs kind of dangling, which we will see later when Sydney sadly comes upon her best friend's Lifeless body. So at this point, the curfew has, you know, hit that time of the evening. A lot of people are kind of heading home for the night. Sydney and Tatum, I think, are originally supposed to leave, and Sydney can't find Tatum. Um, and at that point, Billy shows up, and it's totally planned. Like, Stu knew that Billy was going to be there. He's, you know, very not subtle about the fact, like, oh, you, how about you guys go up into my parents' room and you guys can talk or whatever you know kind of insinuating that they're gonna have sex billy specifically tells him to look up subtlety and sydney says yeah no it's probably a good idea we probably should go talk so the two of them go upstairs randy gets super bummed randy decides to stay and watch some more horror movies so sydney and billy go upstairs they have sex which you know breaks the rule not good. After that, so while Billy and Sydney are upstairs, a bunch of the other high schoolers who decided not to go home at curfew and were just going to stay and hang out, they're watching Halloween and Gail, Weathers, and Dewey are on a little walk. They've kind of been hanging out throughout the evening outside the house. They go in the house at one point. Gail plants a camera next to the TV, you know, in hopes to just catch some footage, catch some stuff so that, you know, she can get her her story basically. That's how she plans to to break the story, is planning a camera. So Kenny, her cameraman, sitting in the van outside, kind of watching what's going on, kind of bored because it's just a bunch of teenagers drinking beer and talking about horror movies and being dumb. Uh, So at this point, while Billy and Sydney are upstairs having sex, Randy picks up the phone at Stu's house because it rings. And this is when you find out that Principal Henry's dead and he's at the football field. And so pretty much everyone in the living room scene that's watching Halloween leaves to go see Principal Henry's dead body except for Randy. He's like, I'm not going anywhere. Like, I'm going to watch Jamie Lee Curtis as is classic Randy fashion and his obsession obsession with jamie lee curtis which totally fair i mean the halloween movies are great uh so they all leave he settles into the couch by himself and like i said sydney and billy are having sex upstairs gail and dewey are kind of off site still in the area but um dewey got a call about a car in the bushes a little ways away so they Go take a walk to kind of check out whose car this is. It ends up being uh Cindy's dad's car, Neil Prescott's car. As I said earlier, they haven't been able to get a hold of him. They're, you know, not sure where he is. He's supposed to be at this conference, but he's not there actually, so no one really knows exactly where Sydney's dad is, but they found his car finally. And then at this point, is also when Dewey and Gail kiss. They've kind of had a whole flirty thing going on, you know, throughout the film. Not super important. Uh, you know, it'll come up in some of the later movies. They're, you know, kind of on and again, off again relationship. But on this set, actually, David Arquette and Courtney Cox, the, you know, actors who play Gail and Dewey met and fell in love. And they fell in love. And they actually got married and were married for quite a few years. Um, they're divorced now, but I think, you know, their relationship's still pretty amicable i mean they're both going to be in the upcoming screen movie so they can't really hate each other that much i guess um but yeah so they actually ended up starting a relationship and getting married after starring in this movie together so that's also kind of interesting so then cut to billy and sydney being done with their little sexcapade and they're both getting dressed they're kind of chit-chatting and billy you know they're kind of having a conversation about the killer and sydney makes the comment oh it would have been really smart for you to call me while you were in jail or have someone else call me because you know totally would have you know been really smart and thrown me off thrown me off the trail and he's like what do I have to do to prove to you that I'm not a murderer and at that point Ghostface comes in behind him and instead of being like turn around run literally anything Sydney just goes Billy and points and then Billy turns around and gets slashed by Ghostface turns around very dramatically quote-unquote dies in front of Sydney. she starts running from Ghostface they kind of fight it off in Stu's house a little bit she runs up into what looks like an attic or a spare room upstairs climbs out a window jumps off you know jumps out the window and falls on this like covered boat that was on a trailer right out in front of the garage she rolls off of that and that's when she sees that Tatum is dead. She starts to make her way up to the front of the house to, you know, try and get help, try and find some kind of help, get away, whatever it is, you know, all of the thoughts going through her head and at that point Ghostface goes downstairs and is behind Randy, like kind of behind the couch and so Randy's all curled up with the pillow just kind of hanging out and this this scene is so great because he's watching, you know, Halloween and it's a part where Michael Myers is behind Jamie Lee Curtis and so he's like trying turn around, Jamie, just turn around. It, like, it's gonna be fine. Just turn around. Um, and the whole time Ghostface is standing behind Randy. And so it's very much like a, you know, a mirror image of you're like, Randy, just turn around. Like, no. So you think at that point that Randy's gonna be murdered. Um, then it cuts back to Sydney. She's running to the front of the house. She sees Gail Weathers like news van that, she, that that she's got goes and pounds on that and Kenny opens the door and she's like someone you know like the killer's here blah 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 and Kenny tries to help he really does he looks at the tre he's like we've got a camera in the house it's fine and as they look to the camera they see Ghostface behind Randy and Kenny starts doing exactly what Randy was doing to Jamie he's like turn around kid just turn around get out of there um, and that's when Kenny kind of calls back to the idea that when Gail watched the camera into the house there was a little bit of a delay about a 30 second delay and so when he kind of goes to turn around to i think go in the house to try and save randy ghostface is already outside the house and slashes kenny's throat so then kenny goes down he falls to the ground and he was just trying to help, like poor Kenny, man, he, he didn't deserve that. He was just trying to do his job. He was just trying to, yeah, RIP to Kenny. Um. So Sydney crawls out of the van. She runs up to the front of the house with Ghostface chasing her. So Sydney takes off through this like weird side field thing. I'm not really sure like exactly where this area is supposed to be in accordance to Stu's house, but she's running through there. And at that point, Dewey and Gail are coming back up to the house after finding Neil Prescott's car. And Dewey says you need to, you know you need to get out of here, you need to get help, all this stuff. So she goes and gets in the news van and tries to leave. She doesn't find Kenny, which she thinks is weird, but she's just going to get out of there. Gail is a very much save myself kind of a gal, which totally valid. I mean, especially because Kenny's already dead. So as she goes to pull away, she like flips on the lights and she realizes that the the windshield looks kind of funky. So she turns on the windshield wipers and it's just covered in blood, which is just such an unsettling like, thought that the windshield wipers are just pushing blood around. So she goes to drive away and leave, and that's when Kenny kind of slides down onto the windshield. And you, you know, you realize that Gail now knows that Kenny's dead. Even though she probably figured that when he wasn't with the van. You know, because where, where would Kenny go in the middle of the night? probably not many places and so as she's driving away and trying to like get kenny off the windshield she almost runs over sydney sydney comes like out of this this like shrubbery area and is trying to wave down gail in hopes that you know they could get away together and this causes gail to run off the road crash the van and knock herself unconscious. Sydney gets out of the way. She ends up going back up to the house where she sees Dewey come out the front door. And he's got this like weird look on his face and Sydney looks so relieved because she's like, oh my gosh, like, thank goodness. Someone that I know, someone who's friendly. And that's when Dewey falls to the ground with a knife in his back and Ghostface appears in the doorway behind him. So Dewey's been stabbed, Dewey's down. Sydney backtracks to Dewey's car, his police car. Gets in, you know, tries to radio for help, radios to for backup to 261, 261 Turner Lane, which is Stu address in the movie. Then her and Ghostface kind of get into this cat and mouse game because she's locking the door, but because Ghostface stabbed Dewey, he took Dewey's keys. Uh, and so he's just using the key fob to unlock the door. And then he ducks down, so Sydney can't see where he is exactly, but she's got her eyes on all of the locks because every time she locks one, ghost face will come around to a different one and unlock it to basically try to get inside just him playing cat and mouse because that's just you know He just loves, I think, to kind of incite the fear in his victims, um, which is, I think, going to be a pattern, you know, repeated throughout all of the sequels. As they're playing this cat and mouse, Ghostface sneaks in through, like, the trunk of the car um, and comes up behind Sydney and starts strangling her. They have a little scuffle. She's able to get out of the car and kind of run toward the house, and when uh, when she gets out, Ghostface kind of does his little disappearing act where he's just vanishes kind of into thin air. So Sydney goes up to check on Dewey. She grabs his gun and at that point Randy is kind of limping up the front uh, walkway I guess you could say of Stu's house saying you gotta help me. I don't know what's going on. Like someone stabbed me. All this stuff and then Stu turns up right as Randy and Sydney are talking and she's pointing the gun and uh, stews like i think it's randy i don't know what's happening i just found tatum they killed tatum he refers to her as my tatum uh trying to you know i think spark some uh sensitivity and thing uh you know some some heavy feelings for sydney because tatum was her best friend and sydney's basically like i don't trust either of you two fuck you both she goes in she slams the front door and she locks it at this point you know you hear kind of scuffling behind her and she turns around and billy is is like half walking half limping ends up rolling down the stairs because he's still you know like supposedly hurt him and Sydney kind of talk she's like I'm so glad you're okay he gets up and opens the door and lets Randy in and Randy's like I don't know what's happening Stu's gone mad and then Billy turns around uh, after he gets the gun from Sydney because he's like oh give me the gun like I'll take care of you kind of that idea so she hands it over he lets Randy in and and Billy turns around and says, we all go a little mad sometimes, and shoots Randy. And Sidney's standing there, like, so confused because, you know, Billy was playing all injured two seconds ago, and now he's just got this evil look on his face. Um, And then he quotes, you know, that quote is Anthony Perkins in Psycho. And that's when you realize, you know, if you hadn't already, that Billy is, in fact, a bad guy. Um, Lots of red flags with that. I remember the first time I watched this, I was like, ah, like, you kind of wanted it to be someone else but at the same time like i wasn't super shocked that it was billy because there was just there were things about him that i was like i don't really like any of this you're just a little too greasy for me sir and i just i don't trust it i don't trust it at all then billy also reveals that the blood the so-called blood that he's covered in his blood that he's covered in is actually just corn syrup which is what they use for pig's blood and carry uh so she realizes that oh wow it actually is you know billy who's the killer And so she goes to run into the kitchen area, and that's when she runs smack into Stu. And he's standing there just, like, very out of it, just kind of staring off in one direction, very kind of focused, very stiff, very uncomfortable. Uh, You know, you'd think if you were, you know, kind of running, she almost, like, collapses into him of, like, help me, and he's just, like, giving nothing back. Uh, just, Just very unsettling. This whole scene is just full of unsettling behavior. So then at this point, Stu holds up the little voice recorder thing and says, surprise, Sydney, which ends up being the ghost face voice that he uses. So you realize that, dang, it's not just one killer. There's two killers. They bring Sydney into the kitchen and they have this whole running, you know, running dialogue. Long story short, Billy's dad was sleeping with Sydney's mom and that's why his mom left their family. And so he blames Sydney and her mom and that's why they killed her mom. Stu says that they watched a lot of horror movies. They took a lot of notes. It was really fun. He had a good time. He's just kind of in it for, you know, the thrill of it. But Billy has, you know, a personal agenda. He went after Maureen and then they went after Casey because, you know, as, as kind of stated in that scene by the fountain, Casey dumped Stu so that she could date Steve. So those two were just kind of a test run collateral damage Like, it's got to be somebody who has, you know, like somewhat of a personal vendetta. And then, yeah, everyone else, you know, Principal Himbury was just kind of a means to an ends of getting, you know, the rest of the party goers distracted. Um, And then at this point, they bring out Sydney's father. He's tied up in the closet. They basically are like, yep, we're gonna frame it all on him. We're gonna kill both of you. It's gonna look like, you know, he snapped because he couldn't handle the anniversary of his wife's death. He killed all these people. He killed you. He kills himself. Bada bing, bada boom. A crime uh, for the history books. The perfect crime, as you will. The whole time Sydney's like, you guys are fucking ridiculous. This is wild this is stupid there's no reason for all of this and then they get to the part where they're going to take turns stabbing each other so that it looks like they were potential victims that survived you know they're going to be heroes they're going to be this they're going to be that they've you know created this whole thing and then you re- you know they've kind of they do a call back to the rules about how sydney you know gave it up to billy so now she's gotta die because those are the rules. But the the acting in this scene is so good because you've got Skeet Ulrich, who's just very fixated, like just looks very determined. And then Stu is just kind of all over the place. Like he's really hyper, he's really intense, he's jumping around, he's flailing a gun around. And Billy is just fixed on Sydney. And like, you need to understand that this is your fault, yours and your mother's and we like at one point he says we did your mom a favor by killing her doubtful not really a thing nice try no you know and then you've got sydney who's just like slightly paralyzed but also crying but she doesn't really show she tries really hard not to show fear which is really cool she's such a strong character 10 out of 10 for the acting in the scene i think i've seen I'll, I'll just sit and watch this scene just isolated by itself because it's so good and I just love all three of them in it. They play off of each other so well, um, but they're also different at the same time in terms of, you know, how they're playing their characters and what their characters like attitudes and behaviors would be like. So, after Billy and Stu have stabbed each other and they're ready to kind of put the the end on all of this, you know, on this horror movie basically, Billy tells Stu to grab the gun. He goes to the little like side counter table thing that he set it on and it's gone because Gale weathers came to in the van walked back up to the house kind of heard what was going on took the gun and so she's going to shoot them but she doesn't have the knowledge it's kind of funny because you know it in the second one she calls dewey inexperienced but she didn't have you know she's not like she really had experience either because she didn't take the safety off of the gun which you know if you've never been around guns that's not her fault But, you know, she tries to shoot them and then can't because the safety's on. And so Billy just, like, kicks her in the torso and she kind of collapses on the front porch. That gives Sydney just enough time to get away from the two of them because Billy wasn't paying attention. So Stu turns around and he says, Houston we have a problem and that line was actually improvised which I love that because it's just so perfect and you know the two of them are covered in blood at this point you know, Billy's covered in fake blood, but then they're both also covered in their own real blood because they just stabbed each other, the whole story that they're creating. So Sydney gets away, she takes her dad, like, gets them kind of out of the kitchen area, which is where this whole scene has been taking place, and she calls Stu's phone, like, their their landline, basically, and she's talking to Stu with kind of the ghost face voice, and she's like, you know, basically, why are you doing this? And he's like like, you know, I'm far too sensitive. It was peer pressure. Like, that's what I'm going to tell them because Sydney's like, well, Billy's got a motive. Like, what's your reason? And he's like, oh, like, I'm just too sensitive. It's just going to be peer pressure. You know, Billy's like, we got to find her. You got to get up because Stu is like kneeling on the ground, it looks like. Maybe he's sitting in a chair, but I think he's just kind of kneeling on the ground at this little bench table thing. And he's like, I can't. I think you cut me too deep. Like, I'm ha- like I'm in a lot of pain. And he starts bleeding from his mouth. And so Billy takes the phone from Stu and basically he's just threatening Sydney, calling her all these names, telling her he's gonna kill her. Blah blah blah. Classic murderer stuff. And he goes to set the phone down. And like I said, kind of in the in the fun facts, he's supposed to just kind of toss it on the table, but it slips out of his hand wrong and it hits Matthew Lillard in the back of the head which causes him to improvise the line, you hit me with the phone, dick, Uh, which is so good and it's so well done and it just fits their characters of Billy kind of being this overwhelming presence and Stu just kind of, really being pulled along. That's not to say that he's not, should not be held responsible for his actions because he totally fully 150% should. I mean, he murdered people, but just kind of in that role of being the subordinate partner is just kind of entertaining. You know, Stu's having a really rough time. He was stabbed too deep. I think Billy probably did that on purpose um, because D- Billy wanted to be the sole survivor. And, you know, that old saying of two can keep a secret if one of them is dead. Like Billy can get away with this as long as he's the only one who knows that he actually got away with something. Uh, so Billy goes to look for Sydney she pops out of the closet as she's dressed in the ghost face like garb the the cloak and the mask and stabs Billy with like an umbrella causes him to fall down and then at that point Stu gets kind of the second wind of you know the adrenaline's pumping he's not in pain anymore and he goes after Sydney tackles her they you know roll around on the floor they're fighting she's trying to get away he says that you know I always had a thing for you Sid and she says in your dreams as she pushes the giant tv you know like like nowadays we have flat screen tvs and a lot of times they're mounted on walls but you know this is one of those lovely old 90s tvs that just is weighs you know probably 150 pounds maybe a little bit less i don't know maybe they're not that heavy the one that my grandma had was really heavy i remember when she passed and we had to move that thing and it was like ridiculously heavy Anyway, she just pushes it over on Stu. So you see him get like electrocuted and, you know, his body kind of spasms and then it goes, you know it goes, uh, stops, it goes quiet, so you, you know, you suspect that Stu has passed, Sydney has, I think, gotten both of them, she goes to kind of walk away, and Billy comes back, tries to stab her, tries to get her, you know, one final time, and that's when Gail comes, you know, comes back in with the gun after coming to, after she was knocked unconscious, she remembers to take the safety off that time, and she shoots Billy, and she says, I remember the safety that time, you dick, uh, and so, you know, you're like, ah, it's over, Randy gets up, you know, we've got Gail, and we've got Randy, and we've got Sydney. I think, you know, those are going to be our three survivors, and Randy, you know, talks about the famous trope in horror movies that, you know, the killer's going to come back for one last scare, and he does, Billy does this little blah. Uh, with you know, reaches his hand up and Sydney shoots him in the head. He's not coming back that time, she says. You know, the famous kind of line at the end. Not in my movie, which is great. Cut to kind of the police getting there, the backup getting there. The sun is rising. Gail has a new news crew, and she, you know, she's got blood on her face. She's covered in you know dirt and grit and just you know grossness. Uh, and she starts doing a news feed, basically a newscast of what she's been through. She has a firsthand eyewitness account really going to be great for her ratings and her numbers and her popularity and that you know just kind of shedding shedding some light she's going to tell the world what happened here at 261 Turner Lane and uh you know you see that Dewey's alive you know he's hanging in there he's gonna be okay it pans over kind of like you know uh Stu's house kind of sits on this hillside so it pans over and you see the valley and the sun's coming up and you're like okay you know it's gonna be good like the killers are dead we did it she survived we love a final girl moment Randy survived he makes a comment at the end that he's never been so happy to be a virgin which is also just a great callback to you know his set of rules that he lives by and then at the very end you know they cut you think it's you know a happy ending quote unquote and then there's a split second like it's quiet it's silent and then there's a split second where the screen goes black and you see the ghost face mask for just a fraction of a second so it's so fast like literally if you blink you'll miss it I think it took me a couple of times to watch the movie to see it because typically I you know once that was over I was like yeah no this is it it wasn't until someone pointed it out to me that I was like oh my gosh seriously (laughs) but yeah so so that's there and the ghost face thing you know just pops back in just kind of as a little little last unsettle unsettling bit for the audience and then it rolls into credits and that's scream and it's one of my favorites and i've seen it so many times and talking about it today just makes me want to make popcorn and watch it again you know maybe one of these days if i get real bold enough i'll do the platinum blonde bob with the with the bangs i doubt it i don't think that's gonna happen you know maybe maybe for halloween one year maybe i'll dress up as casey becker for halloween one year but absolutely love it One of my favorite horror movie films of all time. Definitely a classic. uh, Really kind of revamped the slasher films. You know, there was... There was a a period of time where horror movies were doing really good and then they kind of just had the same ideas. You know, I think it was once they got to, uh, you know, Friday the 13th Part 6 and Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5 that people kind of stopped watching horror movies. It was, you know, there wasn't anything original. There wasn't anything new. And till, you know, Scream. And there, you know, honestly a pretty good twist. Like having two killers, having two teenage high school killers, you know, that that the motive is one of them is you know vengeance for his mom I guess or for himself or you know whatever Billy's twisted thing is about well your mom slept with my dad and that's why my mom left so she had to die it's like "Mm, debatable and then Stu's just kind of along for the ride because he's not got nothing better to do. But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening and letting me talk your ear off about one of my favorite scary movies of all time. That's why I'm doing this, just so that I get a chance to talk about one of my favorite things. Yeah, super excited to kind of have this podcast kick off. And next week we will be dissecting The Conjuring, which probably this is my favorite movie of all time, but I think The Conjuring is my favorite horror movie of all time. I've seen it i don't even know how many times and there are still scenes in it that give me chills to this day which doesn't happen very often so i think yeah it's definitely one of my favorite horror movies and i'm super excited to get into that with you guys but i hope you guys have a great weekend week whatever whenever you're listening to this thank you so much for listening to the podcast If you guys enjoyed the show and want to give me a follow on social media or give the pod a follow on social media, I guess it is M as in massacre murder movies. So M murder movies on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to give us a follow, go ahead and um, I will see you in the next one. Stay spooky.